1: The rage in me to still every way at your name. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. Eyes. Breathe, call these bones to live, call these lungs to sing Once again. I will praise Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, 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 you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear. darkness was spared to prove your love for me you're the mystery that your final breath became eternity what we had lost forever you redeemed i
2: These have been challenging times, but the body of Christ has proven itself resilient. We've gathered in different ways, in different places, yet stood steadfast as the Church. We have found peace in God's promise to never leave us or forsake us. In our separation, we have remained united. In our struggle, we have lived out our faith in the midst of the unknown we've leaned on the strength of an all-knowing God throughout history the church has thrived in adversity in this moment is no different the power of God is unstoppable his love unending his grace unrelenting his glory undeniable Today. No matter where we gather, we remain God's people. Our mission has not changed. Our calling has not been altered. And nothing, absolutely nothing, will ever change that. We are the church, and today we stand resilient.
3: Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so pleased to be sharing God's Word with you in the Tri City, Quad City, so many cities. Now, you guys are everywhere in Central Arizona, and uh, I want to begin by reading a, a scripture, which is not really in my notes. It's from Ephesians chapter six, verse thirteen, uh, verses thirteen and fourteen. Paul writes, "...therefore put on the full armor of God." Okay, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Life is a spiritual battle. And so put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and uh, the day of evil is not just uh, evil all the time, it's the day of evil. There are certain times when the pressures against us are just extraordinary. And I don't have to tell you that this is one of those seasons right now. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand, and then Paul says, stand firm then. So in, in two verses, he uses the word stand three times. And maybe we could say that that word is a Bible word for resilience. And that's what I'm going to talk about today, resilience, standing stand therefore. Uh, That command in the Greek text is actually what's called a linear command, which means keep on standing. Hang in there. Be resilient. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share in the mountains of central Arizona. And Lord, I thank you so much for this church and for what you're doing here and for the way James and his team are leading this ministry. And I, I pray, God, that you'll use this time that I share your word to bring hope and encouragement and strength to stand in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, psychologists define resilience. And I've got several quotes here from, from the American Psychological Association. And, and I, you know, I'm going to read scripture, but what's amazing is how the Bible is so profoundly practical. At least 2,000 years old so practical. Psychologists define resilience as the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, in the face of trauma, tragedy, threats, or significant sources of stress, such as family and relationship problems, serious health problems, or workplace and financial stressors, and pandemics. Uh, As much as resilience involves bouncing back, this is a really important point. As much as resilience involves bouncing back from these difficult experiences, it can also involve profound personal growth. And I, I want to focus on this. I, I want to say this. this is a very important statement. Resilience doesn't happen. It's not just about bouncing back. It's something that you do. Uh, can I say this in church? Crap happens. All right. Stuff happens. But resilience doesn't just happen. You have to do resilience. You have to make resilience happen. Now, how do you do resilience? And I've got four points in my, four main points in my message today. First of all, resilience depends on what you look at. It's, it's about perspective. Have you ever heard people say, you've got to have a, a perspective on this. What, what does that mean? You know, there, there are different ways to look at life. And so in 2 Corinthians, this is as good on perspective as anything that you'll find in the Bible. Paul says this, therefore we do not lose heart. Paul's just gone through a litany of things that he's been through. And he says, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. (laughs) It's like there is pain in this, and it feels like I'm dying, and this is killing me. You know, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for are light momentary troubles. You talk about perspective. Light momentary troubles? Paul, Paul has just talked about being stoned, starving, fasting, uh, put in prison. Uh, and, and he calls these things light momentary troubles. And he says, they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, how do you do Resilience. It's what you look at. So we fix our eyes. And this to me is an enigma. We fix our eyes on we fix our eyes on what cannot be seen. Uh, on, on what is se- not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we have to fix our eyes, and this would be our spiritual eyes, we have to fix our eyes on the things that we cannot see. I mean, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Um, faith is the evidence of things not seen. And we live, the Bible tells us, right, actually in this passage in, in 2 Corinthians, we live by faith and not by sight. And what, what is sight? It's what, what's going on around us, what we see, what comes in, into our lives, at our lives, in our families, you know, in our health our workplace, the, the government, the election. You know, you see stuff and it, it's stuff, stuff around you will bring you down. It'll bring you to a halt. And so when, you know, when it brings you to a halt, it's time to stand. So we do not lose heart, Paul says. We fix our eyes not on what is seen but is on what is unseen since what is seen passes away. So we bounce over to Hebrews chapter 12 and let me give you a little background here. Hebrews chapter 11 is about the hall of fame of faith, and it has the most famous statement about faith in the Bible. I just quoted part of it. Uh, Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Uh, It is the assurance of things hoped for. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, and those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, you know, you have these two worlds. You have the world around us and all of the messages it's sending us. And then we have the world of faith, where we stand not on the circumstances, but on what God says and on our relationship with Him. So, this brings us to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And we come out of Hebrews 11, which is about all the people who won great battles by their faith. At the very end of the chapter, there are people who got nothing for their faith, but they just stayed faithful. And then the writer says, Therefore, okay, based on all these things we know about these people who went before us, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. So, you know, there are obstacles to our faith. Sin, of course, is a big obstacle. But then there are just things that hinder us, you know, and they're not necessarily inherently evil. It's just stuff hinders us. And the, the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance, resilience, endurance, the race that's marked out for us. And what does it say in verse 2? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. So resilience begins with what you look at. Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. You know, so you talk about uh, resilience. He endured the cross because he looked beyond that to what God's plan for his life was. Consider him. So fix your eyes on Jesus and consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. You know, in, in a if in Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart, because we keep our eyes fixed on the things that are forever. So a resilient life is rooted in perspective. Resilience depends on what you look at. Secondly, resilience depends on what you think and how you think about it. It's not just what you look at, it's kind of what your eyes bring into your brain and it's what you focus on in your thinking. Listen to what, this is so incredible, what the American Psychological Association says about resilience. Practice mindfulness. You know, some people say, well, that's new age. No, 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 we're transformed, the Bible says, by the renewing of our minds. Practice mindfulness, mindful journaling, yoga, and other Listen to this. Other spiritual practices like prayer or meditation, they can be help helpful in building connections and restoring hope, which can prime us to deal with situations that require resilience. The American Psychological Association suggests prayer. Well, what is prayer? It's taking your eyes off of what's going on and on to uh, onto the person of Jesus in your life. Um, so he says, uh, he says, when you journal, this, this uh, statement by the APA says, when you journal, meditate or pray, when you ruminate on positive act, aspects of your life and recall the things you're grateful for, even during personal trials, this helps you do resilience. So resilience depends on what you think about. And listen to this verse. Paul writes this in Philippians. And in he wrote Philippians. He was in prison. There, it's uh, it's the most joy-filled, uh, joy-filled book in the Bible, and it's incredible to know the context because Paul was in prison. This you know this great this great statement you know be anxious for nothing and all things give thanks. I mean these are some of the best statements in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These great famous verses of Scripture are in Philippians, and Paul is writing this in prison. And he says this, finally, brothers, I mean, would you do this if you were in prison? If you were John McCain, eight years, nine years, in a North Vietnamese prison? People have been complaining about being stuck in their homes and, <laughs> and the COVID pandemic. And, I, and I've, I've said, just read John McCain's biography. So Paul says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Uh, You know, take a hike. Um, What's interesting to me here is that Paul, he doesn't talk about anything that's like religious. He just says, think about the things that bring you encouragement. Think about your family. Think about the memory. Look at pictures of your family and let those those pictures remind you of times uh, that were really good and that probably point forward to times that are going to be really good. Um, I want to show you a little video here. My son Matthew, he loves wildlife nature and uh, he kind of worked somehow, you know, he kind of put the right things together to get a pair of bluebirds, California bluebirds, to nest in a little wooden birdhouse hanging in a tree in his backyard, a birdhouse that has hinges on the lid. And I just want you to see this. You know, To me, this is an example of, think about, just think about the good things of life. And, uh, you know, when, when, I'm <laughs> when I'm in a dentist chair or sometimes I've had some MRIs, you know, they, they have... On the ceiling, or you know, in a medical center, they got on the ceiling. They have pictures of nature and the forest and mountains, and so, so anyway, watch watch what happens in this little video, and see if it doesn't just do something inside of you.
1: Baby birds are mighty quiet.
3: <whistles> there they are. Hi,
0: babies. Baby.
3: Did you like that? You know the little birds. They all they all, he whistles, and then all the little birds they pop up their heads and they start begging for food. And anyway, that to me that's just an example, a really simple, almost superficial example of how we we need to think about the things that actually encourage us. Well, resilience depends on what you look at. Resilience depends on on what you think about. And then I'm going to spend a little time with this one. Number three, resilience is about who's in your life it's about people they say the pandemic has created a situation where people are more lonely than ever so we have to talk, we have to prioritize relationships this again is from the american psychological association prioritize relationships connecting with empathetic and understanding people can remind you that you're not alone in the midst of difficulties Focus on finding trustworthy and compassionate individuals who validate your feelings, which, which will support the skill of resilience. Now, one of the problems is we don't invest in relationships. Now there's a pandemic, and we don't know which way to turn. Uh, for years, I have, I have really labored to get pastors who are often very lonely to get into relationships with their peers and spend time like they're in a recovery group. Commiserate. Pray, pray for each other. Tell your stories. It's so powerful. And uh, I love this. this. This has become a mantra of my life. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Again, he's in prison, and this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Paul says, I can do all this through Jesus who gives me strength. I can do all this. He says, I've learned, I've learned the secret of being content, whether I'm suffering or I'm, I'm joyful and things are going well for me, I've learned the secret of being content. I can, and how, what is the secret? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And we hear that quoted everywhere, and we don't know the context. Uh, I, lo- I love to ask this question to people who know the Bible well, and uh, I, I don't know, maybe I've said this to you guys uh, in, in this church, um, what's the next verse say? I got a friend who says, Gary always says, what does the next verse say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we want to say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Like we need a doxology there. It's, but it's not just about me. The next verse begins with the word yet it qualifies this great statement of scripture i can do all things through him who gives me strength yet it was good of you to share in my troubles and i i love to say this we need each other as much as we need jesus And the challenge, of course, is the more you know somebody, sometimes the more difficult it is to really sustain a relationship. But that's part of what it means to grow in your faith. So in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, and I I think this is a really interesting interesting statement. We make a leap here. Uh, We make a leap from what people can do for you and then what you can do for others and the power in that, the power of friendships for you, but the power to give you resilience in your relationships with others. So Paul says this, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. You know, you've heard that. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But in the context here, Paul is telling us that in so many words, you know, when life strikes you like a hammer, you can't make it on your own. You've got to lean on others, and others have to lean on you. Um, you know, we're all really in recovery. And if you're in recovery, it's really simple you need God, and you need people in your life who speak in your life, hold you accountable, maybe rebuke you from time to time. So we need God, and we need others. Uh, bear one another bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ but then paul adds this he says each one should test his own actions it's really interesting that these two statements are in the same passage and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else and then it says here for each one should carry their own load so you know bear one another's burdens And then each one has to carry his own load. And what that really means is I can stand with you, but ultimately you have to figure out how you're going to find God in this. You can tell me about what's going on in your life. I can pray for you. I can commiserate with you. I can empathize with you. But probably when our conversation is over, I'm going to go away and think about my own stuff. And you're left alone with your burden and and, uh, what's interesting here is that the first word that's used bear one another's burdens that word is kind of like a sack of potatoes and how people carry their their sacks of potatoes but the next word in the greek means like a ton of bricks each person has to carry their own load which which also suggests someone uh, heard me talking about this and said you know I am so codependent. I always feel like I need to fix people. And ultimately you cannot take another person's burden away. They have to find God in, in their situation. So resilience depends on who's in your life. But it's not, again, I've touched on this, it's not just what they can do for you, it's also about what you can do for them. And uh, This quote uh, continues from the American Psychological Association. Help others. When you volunteer with a local homeless shelter or simply support a friend in their own time of need, you can garner a sense of purpose, foster self-worth, connect with other people, and tangibly help others, all of which can empower you to grow in resilience. So you need people to help you, but just helping others gives you perspective. And studies have shown that helping others actually deepens you, makes you stronger, and gives you a greater capacity to be resilient. Um, I'm going to talk about this a couple times in the message. My my son David, and some of you know this, uh, our whole family is facing an unspeakable trauma. My son's wife, Jill, they've been married for 25 years, coming up this December. She is on hospice care now because she has brain cancer. And it is, it is just such upheaval. It's upheaval for my wife and me, especially for my son David and his kids. It's just unbelievable. And, you know, what do we do in these kinds of situations? Uh, Jill... Dave's wife was very active. Uh, She was the captain of her high school girls' swimming team, and they finished second to to Xavier, to the Catholics. Every year they finished second in the state of Arizona in swimming. And she was the captain, the co-captain of the team. And uh, she loved to, she just was so, loved life and just loved doing things and traveling. And her whole personality has changed and, you know, she was running a race. And we talked about this a moment ago. Paul said, you know, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus when you're running this race. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. And she, she actually ran in the L.A. Marathon. And she was about five miles from the end of the race. And another woman there was all sparkly and not not, not a drop of sweat on her body and she's standing on the curb and she's kind of stretching and as Jill comes running down the street, she steps off the curb and just starts running the last five miles of the race. And a lot of people don't know about this, but people people who do marathons, who run marathons, they have friends who wait for them with about five miles left and this woman, a stranger, she ran next to Jill, and she said, my friend called me, she had to drop out of the race, and so I just chose you randomly, and I'm going to run with you to make sure you finish the race. So just think of the power of this, what it does for Jill, what it does for this other woman, that she's actually a, a part of this, of this long run, and, and they're going to do it together together, you know, they, they, could, they could have become BFFs, you know, best friends forever. A story that is, is parallel to this uh, is about a friend of mine, a pastor, very influential pastor in Phoenix. Maybe some of you heard about his ministry, Tom Schrader. He's my age, he was actually a little younger than me, and he passed away last year. Tom Schrader. Uh, he had a big church, East Valley Bible Church, and he was just beloved. Uh, He was kind of a carmudgeon, you know, kind of a funny guy like those Muppets that sit up in the balcony and just kind of criticize everything. Tom was really funny. But he just was a really straightforward man of God. And he lost his wife to cancer. And he remarried. Some people were upset that he remarried as quickly as he did and he said, I spent nine years grieving and saying goodbye to my wife. I want to move on. I don't have that much of my life left. And uh, his second wife stood up at Tom's funeral. I went to that funeral. There were 2,000 people at his funeral. And his second wife stood up, a younger woman. She said, Tom said when we started dating, she said, You know, uh, when you are young and you meet somebody and you date, you talk about your future, how many kids you're going to have. But he said, When you're older like me, you kind of talk about what you're going to do with the few years you have left, you talk about dying. And she said something I'll never forget. Tom's wife said, God spoke to me that I had been brought into Tom's life to help him die. Think about that. And think about the power of that moment for her and for Tom and how both uh, were were having their perspectives uh, reshaped and redirected as they committed this, uh, really, until death do we part perspective. So, what are the health benefits of kindness? When I share someone else's pain, it eases mine. And the APA says, Studies have found that acts of kindness are linked to increased feelings of well-being. Helping others can also improve our support networks and encourage us to be more active. This, in turn, can improve our self-esteem uh, there's some evidence to suggest that when we help others, it can actually promote changes in the brain that are linked with happiness. And I, uh, I've got a, I got a friend who is a, a, a doctor of psychology. And, and when she heard me talking about this sheep, uh, she sent out a note to a number of her friends, and I was in that, in that link and said, You need to watch this, this video. It's about how helping others actually changes your brain. Doing good will help you to have a more positive outlook about your own circumstances. It helps to make the world a happier place. One act of kindness can often lead to more. Practice practice kindness. Acts of kindness have the potential to make the world a happier place. An act of kindness can boost feelings of confidence, being in control, happiness, and optimism. Well, resilience depends on, on what you do to help others and what you do and what you do for others, and what others can do to help you and what you do for others. Now, number four, and it really all comes down to this: this is not just about religion, but it's about transcendence, you know where there's something that's over and above everything else in your life, like Paul says be anxious for nothing, pray about everything, and the peace of God that passes all understanding, that, that goes above your head, your mind, your thoughts, the peace of God will keep your heart and your mind focused on Jesus. So this, this final thing is resilience depends on God's presence, on transcendent moments. Isaiah chapter 26, uh, verses 2 to 4, says this. You will probably be familiar with this verse. You will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind remains focused on you. You will keep, God, you will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind remains focused on you because he remains in you. And uh, that perfect peace... It's really interesting. In the Hebrew, there's nothing real deep there. In the Hebrew, it just says, He will keep you in shalom, shalom. The peace of peace. You know, shalom, shalom. He will keep you there when your mind is stayed on Him. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord you have an everlasting rock. The rock of resilience. And then Jesus says this in John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world these are the things we see. In the world you will have trouble. That's a promise in God's word. I know you don't like those kinds of promises. But in the world you will have trouble. But take take heart. I have overcome the world. So if you're with someone right now, maybe you've got the family around you, maybe friends, you know, I, I just want you to turn to each of them and say one at a time, not both at the same time. And they do this in Catholic churches. My background is Lutheran, they do it in Lutheran churches. Just turn to somebody and say, Peace be with you. Can you do that? Peace be with you. And, you know, that, that's what all of us... I, I think that's a, that is absolutely the best thing to say in the house of God. In the, it is the best thing to say to someone when, you know, when they're really troubled. And, and not just as a cliché, but peace be with you. May the peace of Christ be with you. May your eyes be fixed on Him and not on your circumstances. Peace be with you. Peace, peace, according to this verse. shalom. Shalom. Resilience depends on you trusting God in every moment of your life. And I get back to this uh, situation that my son is facing with his family. And from the very beginning, I mean, it's just been, you don't have words to describe it. And I can't even fully feel what my son is feeling with his wife uh, going through this and with the kids. And he, he is in full time ministry. And, uh, and, but it's from the very get-go, and I have picked up on this. Uh, I have two seminary degrees, but I never really focused on this passage of Scripture until I heard my son talking about it. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul writes this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure it was like it was like the, the the practice of resilience was just slipping away and this is the apostle paul we're not talking about some spiritual lightweight and he says he says we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. Have you ever just thrown your hands up in the air and said, I can't take this anymore? (laughs) We had so much pressure, Paul says, that we despaired of life itself. This is the apostle Paul, we despaired of life, and then he says, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And that's exactly what our family has experienced. If you ever been in the mall, it's a big mall and you don't know exactly where you are. It's not so much you know, like some of the little smaller shopping areas in smaller towns like this, but uh, you know, you've know, you been in a mall in and, and, uh, maybe Phoenix or Tucson and, and there's a red dot on the map. You want to know where you are. What, what does it say on the red dot, by the red dot? What does it say? You are here. The rest of the mall is reality, but your reality is right here. And, and that's where our family is and it, it is a we're, we're the, uh, by our red dot it says the sentence of death and then Paul says one of the most powerful things in the Bible and it is to me the bottom line of all of life he says but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, the last year in America has been one of the worst in global history. And Lord, there are no signs that the the pressures against us are going to let up. We have the upcoming election. Who knows what's going to come out of this? Polarization. Riots in our cities. Racism in our streets, in our neighborhoods. And God, this is happening so that we might not trust in ourselves, but in you. And I pray God for a new surge of resilience. Lord, to look at the right things, to think about the right things, to be with the right people, and to be in your presence every moment of every day, trusting you, Lord, to sustain us. You are the rock of our salvation. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, folks.